RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 408 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse, recorded live on Tuesday, April 9th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, April 12th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week, we're trekking out Boyan Kim and Erica Lippolt's thoughts on Boreth's time crystals. Then Anson Mount is in the ready room, What We Left Behind gets a premiere date, and Discovery's newest episode trailer may feature some old friends. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, the Infinity Lockbox promotion has returned and is adding two new Tholian Tier 6 level scaling starships. And in our on-screen segment, we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 Episode 12 through the Valley of Shadows. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Right now, we have to take a moment to thank our patrons. Without their financial support from month to month over at Patreon.com, it would be impossible for us to continue to produce this podcast from week to week. But we do incentivize supporting Priority One. For instance, we do an entirely separate show unedited, unscripted, completely uncensored, titled After Hours, where we are currently reviewing each week's episode of Discovery in far greater detail. So if you want to know what we really think about Star Trek Discovery, then you may want to consider becoming a $10 patron. Or if you just want to chat with us throughout the week about the episode, or anything else for that matter, at $5, you can join us in Google Hangouts for a private chat group. Again, just visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the perks. And finally, we just want to give a big shout out to everyone who contributed to Pop Culture Hero Coalition's heroic fundraising campaign. You helped raise over $2,500 to support seriously disabled children, and that amount will be matched dollar for dollar by the Roddenberry Foundation. Of course, if you missed the fundraiser, it's still open and you can still contribute. You can do that by heading over to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic to be redirected to the GoFundMe site. That's PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. Make a small donation today and it will make a huge difference in a child's life. Now, let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. This week's Star Trek Discovery episode, Through the Valley of Shadows, which we'll talk about later in our on-screen segment, has been getting a lot of buzz. The episode's writing duo, Bo Young Kim and Erica Lippold, sat down to talk with Sci-Fi about Pike, Boreth, and what may be on the horizon. In regards to Pike's inclusion in Discovery, and our view of his tragic accident, Kim and Lippold said, quote, Ever since the decision was made for Captain Pike to join Discovery in Season 2, we knew that we wanted to touch on his eventual fate, which fans of TOS would be all too aware of. Having him not only witness his accident, but have to make the choice to accept that fate for the greater good is a sign of his character. Noble, brave, selfless, Anson Mount brought that roller coaster of an emotional journey to life with a heartbreaking performance. End quote. The planet on which Pike faces his unfortunate future is Boreth. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's where Laurel and Tyler hid their infant son, and where Worf went on a spiritual journey in the Next Generation episode, Rightful Heir. Quote, Boreth has always been carefully established as a sacred place for the Klingons, and that's not something we wanted to muck up. 
Instead, we wanted to expand on existing canon and the functionality of Boreth by introducing a hidden sect of monks who have dedicated their lives to guarding the time crystals. We love the notion that this otherwise fierce warrior race has learned to not mess with something as dangerous and volatile as time, end quote. Kim and Lippold wouldn't go more into time crystals, saying it would, quote, be spoiling the final episodes, end quote. Check out the show notes for a link to the article. This is difficult for me to respond to because there's so much in here that I just don't like about the episodes. We'll find we'll find out more about that in on screen. I do like the fact that they were careful to not contradict any existing canon. And I, I kind of respect the fact that they were aware of other times that we've seen Boreth in the past and opted to kind of fit in with what we already know. Thematically, it's kind of similar to what we've seen before. And also, I guess it is plausible that we haven't heard of it before. So I, I respect the writers for for doing that. And I have my own opinions on whether they should have or not. But uh, this was a nice little piece of exposition from them about how everything fits in. I do appreciate how they are walking that fine line of balancing existing canon with new storytelling. And I appreciate that they're going back and looking at what has come before and where they can fit certain things in to tell the story that they're trying to tell. I think in a lot of ways it has worked for this season and for the first season. And I I just hope that they don't step over that line in the future. Anson Mount also had some things to say about what happened in Through the Valley of Shadows. Sitting down for a video chat with Naomi Kyle on The Ready Room, Mount talked about Pike's character, his accident, and more. Of Pike's choice to take the time crystal and its future, Mount said, Well, first of all, having a good handle on on canon myself, I think, uh, I was very appreciative of how the writers handled it. It was so smart. Primarily because it, it, I think it turns Pike's third act that we already know about and have established, it, it makes it more of a triumph than a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, by making it an act of choice on his part, I learned a lot about the character when I read that. On Vina, and more specifically their meeting in Pike's ready room in Light and Shadows, Mount said, We get to see them reminded of what it was that they had and had to give up, and I, and I think it, it warms the heart to think that it, that, that longing remains and so the reunion is in our and the gestalt of our storytelling about Star Trek canon is all the warmer as well. Mount also mentioned his feelings on taking over the role in this previously unexplored area of Pike's history. I I really dig it because it's second act Pike. Mm-hmm. We know first act Pike, and we know third act Pike, and we just didn't know anything about second act Pike. So that was I felt a lot of freedom in that. To, to come in and, and make this version or this this period of Pike my own. For a link to the video, check out the show notes. I watched this ready room and Anson Mount's a classy guy. He's sharp. The man is sharp. And I particularly, and I'll mention more about this in, in on screen, one of the, the shining moments of this episode was his decision, that moment that he has to make a choice. And I think that Pike says it beautifully, that this is more of a triumph than a tragedy in making that choice. It, w- it became an active choice. So I, I liked his, I liked more specifically about this interview, I enjoyed his insight into Pike. It is clear that Anson Mount respects the character of Pike and the mythos, but also ambiguity that we've had because th- th- that character was never really fleshed out, right? We, we, we saw it in the pilot and those scenes were later reused for the menagerie where we got a little bit more of a story for him. I can't I can't imagine any other actor pulling off what Anson Mount has in such a classy way. Yeah, I think this is one of those rare occasions where you take a high-profile franchise, you include a a long history within it, an extremely talented performer in Anson Mount and you know, a talented writing staff of Discovery and in my opinion, they hit all the right marks for this character and this journey and have really given us something that I didn't even know I wanted was, you know, Pike's, as he describes it, Pike's second act. I think they did a beautiful job all around everybody involved. And I I really appreciate this aspect of season two of Discovery. So this is a really great opportunity for a community question. 
Did Pike's decision to take the Time Crystal from Boreth and doom himself to his future change your opinion or understanding of his character? Why or why not? Let us know on the blog post for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO408 or on one of our social media channels. The highly anticipated Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, has recently released a poster, screening dates, and a trailer. The trailer is well-produced and features all the things you'd expect from a behind-the-scenes theatrical documentary. There is emotion, conflict, and laughter among the cast and crew of Star Trek's third series. And we get our first look at the animated Season 8 premiere, an animated short written by the DS9 writing team. There are also previews of the remastered HD footage and never-before-seen alternate takes. The film will be released digitally to campaign backers on April 25th and will be screening at 800 U.S. cinemas on Monday, May 13th through Fathom Events. News about DVD Blu-ray release is expected soon. Check out our link in the show notes for the trailer. I am really excited about this. I, I Look, I know that I have said before that Deep Space Nine may not be my favorite series of Star Trek. But then again, my favorite series is TNG, right? I think I've, I have said this that DS9 now beats Voyager for me. As I'm consciously rewatching Voyager, I'm like, DS9, DS9 definitely over Voyager. So I'm really excited about this trailer. I, I, I really am. And, and there was one moment in this trailer that I was like, I got really sad. And I was like, why, why are they, why is Terry Farrell crying? Mm. I like just, I was, I want to know who did that and they should be punished, whoever made her cry. So I'm really excited about it. I've already, I've set the date for for that night and yeah that's that it's a monday i think it's a monday night Mm -hmm. monday the 13th may Mm -hmm. 13th i was gonna say if you have not um been to one of these fathom events events they're really good these are the guys that did the distribution for star trek to the wrath of khan when they re-released it in cinemas and they they tend to do these one-off things they also do i think they're the ones that do the studio ghibli fest they do one off season finale of tng yeah they do sort of one-off events i went and had a look before we recorded this episode and tickets are not available yet but on their website the event is up and it tells you about the event and you can sign up to be notified when tickets go on sale so if you're at all interested in in it, go to fathomevents.com and look up what we left behind and you can you can sign up for a reminder there. And lastly, if you're one that doesn't like previews for the next episode of something like Star Trek Discovery, you may want to fast forward a couple of minutes and eh, maybe three seconds. Okay, good. You're still there? All right. Well, this week's preview episode of Such Sweet Sorrow has given us our possible first look at the USS Enterprise bridge and promo photos spoil the return of Short Trek guest star Poe, not to be confused with Pooh, who rhymes with you. <laughs> if you don't recall, Poe was the stowaway in the short trek runaway. Oh, come on. She she was the runaway in the short trek runaway. <laughs> that is true. She was presented as an angsty teen with a penchant for sweets, but turned out to be the queen of her planet, Zahia, and had developed a way to recrystallize dilithium. For a look at the Enterprise Bridge, as well as other photos and preview videos, check out our link in the show notes. Is anybody figuring out how this is going to end yet? Because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's pretty obvious now how Discovery is going to end. What's funny is no, no, I haven't figured it out, which I feel kind of dumb admitting because it's a it's a hobby and a pastime of mine to try and figure it out. I think there's some strong indications based on previous short tracks and attempts at plans within the last few episodes that I, I I think there's a pretty strong indication of how at least this season might end. And several friends of mine have presented me with theories that I didn't I didn't think of and have blown my mind. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. The Infinity Lockbox is returning this week, and it brings with it two new Tier 6 level-scaling starships, the Tholian Jorogumo Carrier and the Tholian Iktomi Starship, both of which are updated designs to existing Tier 5 Tholian ships. The Jorogumo Carrier is based on the Recluse design, and along with the Tholian Mesh Weaver pets, will come with the Universal Console Enhanced Tetrion Grid. 
When activated, this console creates a grid of Tetrion energy between you, your pets, and nearby allies to increase outgoing weapon damage. The Tholian Iktomi comes with the enhanced Tholian Web Universal Console, which will create an energy web around your target, capturing it, and eventually crushing it. Included with these ships is a new Tholian hull skin available for all Tholian ships. Yeah, these, uh, these Tholian ships look really cool. And I'm not a big fan of Tholian ships in the game, but man, they did a really great job on the designs for these ships. Uh, one thing to note is those Tholian mesh weaver pets that the carrier comes with are only the second carrier pet to have attack pattern beta as an ability on the pet. And that's a lot of debuffing. Uh, the other one was the pets from the Styx Mirror Universe ship. And it was a big to-do when those came out, and now we've gotten another set of those. So uh, these are definitely going to be something to look for. And if you're a fan of Tholian ships at all, those pets are a great one to have. And you can only get them if you have either this ship or the Styx ship. And to get this lockbox promotion started, captains can get bonus Zen this weekend when adding Zen to their accounts. You're also going to want to purchase some keys to open those infinity lockboxes. And since you've already charged up that Zen, take advantage of 50% off keys and ring bundles. When purchasing 20 master keys, you'll also receive an ultimate tech upgrade. Both of these promotions last until Monday, April 15th. I don't ever remember them running both a Zen and a key bonus at the same time. This is brand new. Yeah, I was actually just going to say, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, they're really they're really kicking this uh, Infinity Lockbox promotion off right this time. In the past, I think they've maybe separated them by a weekend, doing a Zen Charge bonus on one weekend and then a key sale on the next. But man, to do everything, they're dropping the Infinity Lockbox again, which is easily the most popular uh, lockbox there is because it gives you access to previous Tier 6 ships that are very popular. And they're giving us a Zen Charge bonus and Master Key all at the same time. I mean, this is this is fantastic. Uh, you know, if anybody has any tax return money left over, this this might be a good a good weekend. Yeah, this is this is interesting, and and I, you know, I would uh, I'm sure that there are some naysayers out there saying that this is some sort of stretch to get people back into the game. Um, but on on the flip side, I think this is actually a better marketing approach because I am certainly more likely to not only buy the Zen during the sale, but also take advantage of keys. I usually will do one at a time. When there's a Zen sale, I'll, spe I'll spend money, my hard-earned cash on Zen. Then when there's a key sale, I'll spend those on, I'll spend my money on the key sale. You know, now I'm going to spend that money in one lump sum, which, you know, at the end of the day is money in their pockets no matter what. What I am curious though, is the exchange and how this is going to affect the exchange because when because one awesome way of getting energy credits to make purchases for some items or whatnot is to sell keys when they are uh, at their peak at their peak value so i wonder how how this is going to affect the exchange my assumption would be that since we're having a zen charge weekend and a key sale there's going to be a lot of people purchasing those to resell on the exchange. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of people purchasing those keys to open the Infinity Lockbox because it is so popular. So it could just be a wash. One other thing to note is, and I believe this is moving forward from now on, they are making the current lockboxes available for free in the Dilithium store. In addition to that, they are also making a bundle of 20 available for free in the C store. And that includes the Emperor's lockbox and the Infinity lockbox uh, this time around. So that to me is also interesting because in the past, if you didn't have any lockboxes to open, you either had to go play more content to get them, you had to purchase them from the Dilithium store for Dilithium, or you had to purchase them off the exchange. So I'm more interested to see how that's going to affect the economy. This week's patch for PC players has brought with it some helpful changes to the mission journal. If you have at least one level 65 character, any of your characters will now have access to the first mission of any mission group in the journal. This will also apply to 23rd century captains once they reach the 25th century and for Gemma Dar and Romulan characters once they choose an allegiance. Also, Klingon players now have access to the Mirror Crossfield Destroyer equipment and the agonized subatomic disintegrator in the low-buy store. 
And finally, this update turns off the Foundry for Star Trek Online. And we here at Priority One would like to take a moment and thank everyone who has spent time creating content within this expansive universe. On behalf of everyone at Priority One, we appreciate the hard work and creativity that all the authors put into our enjoyment of this game. A very special shout out to our friends over at Foundry Roundtable and Starbase UGC for all the work they've done throughout the years. And for console players, the new Personal Endeavor system is now available. Personal Endeavors will give you three daily tasks to complete at easy, medium, and hard difficulty. And completing these tasks, along with the Universal Endeavor, will reward you with experience that can give you perk points towards account-wide stat bonuses. Completing Personal Endeavors will also grant you additional rewards that will be randomly generated, including energy credits, dilithium ore, crafting materials, reputation and fleet marks, and captain specialization points. Also included in this update are the high-level enemy damage balances, updated cutscenes to the Romulan Arc, and engine parts of several ships now have the proper animation for warping. Links to both sets of patch notes can be found in the show notes. Now, let's talk about some events that you can take advantage of in Star Trek Online this weekend. Until Monday, April 15th, captains on PC can queue up for the Borg Red Alert. Players level 50 and up can earn 35 marks of their choice upon each run, and there is no cooldown for this queue. Over on console, players can take advantage of an upgrade weekend. Tech upgrades will grant double the amount of technology points when applied. This will both reduce the dilithium cost and increase the chances to attain higher mark and rarity. And in Priority One Armada news, for the second straight year, the Priority One Armada will be phase-shifted into the alternate Mirror Universe for the month of April. While in the Mirror Universe, we will conduct ourselves as such. We will therefore be changing the name of the Armada to Priority One Empire. Imperial Intelligence has learned Admiral Lita and a sizable portion of the Terran fleet has decided to challenge our entry into their realm. Emperor Winters and his loyal lords of the Admiralty will lead our forces to victory over Admiral Lita and the Terran Empire. To ensure our victory, your leaders have planned some special events and giveaways. For the entire month of April, loyal officers of the Empire will have a chance to win a Tier 5 mirror ship. One ship will be awarded to a loyal officer every day. All you have to do to win is be logged into any Priority One Empire Fed or KDF fleet. This giveaway is open to Armada members from the rank of Lieutenant to Captain. Make sure you don't miss Priority One Empire Live every Saturday night in April. This year, viewers will have a chance to enter into a drawing for a Tier 6 Styx Terran Dreadnought Cruiser, which will be given away on April 27th. Finally, on April 27th, we will fight the final battle against Admiral Lita and the Terran Empire. Visit our Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. We would like to thank all of the following members who donated all of the prizes to make this event possible. Captain Shadeslayer, Vice Admiral Bulls, Vice Admiral Nikki, Vice Admiral Mark, Vice Admiral Panzer, Admiral Hunter, Admiral James, Admiral Rikers, and finally Admiral Cat. For more information about Empire Month, visit our website at www.priorityonearmada.com. Long live the Priority One Empire. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now, let's see what's on screen in the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 12, Through the Valley of Shadows, on screen. On screen. A fourth red burst has been discovered, and the newest signal is located over Boreth, the home of the Klingon Monastery, and Voke and Lorel's child. Beckoned by Tyler, Klingon Chancellor Lorel meets Discovery over Boreth. In a meeting aboard Discovery, the Chancellor explains to Captain Pike and Ash Tyler that the planet's monastery isn't just a place of worship. Its monks protect the native time crystals. Lorel forbids an eager Tyler from beaming down to the surface. His presence and proof that he and their child still live could threaten Lorel's chancellorship and send the Empire into a tailspin. When Pike offers to go instead, Lorel tells him that he will be no safer. The Chancellor has no sway over the monks, and no Klingon has ever taken a crystal from the monastery without great sacrifice. The crystal is the key to their preventing Control's access to the sphere data, so Pike goes anyway. On the planet, Pike meets a white Klingon, Tenevik, a timekeeper. Tenevik reiterates Lorel's warning of great sacrifice, but a desperate Pike asks for the opportunity to prove himself worthy, and it is granted. On their way to the Crystal Vault, Tenevik tells Pike that he was once without name, as his father was. Tenevik is Lorel and Tyler's son. 
timey-wimey stuff happens, but upon reaching the vault, Tenevik leads Pike to a crystal and again warns him that madness may be his price. Pike proceeds. He is instantly transported to the future, the moment he sacrifices himself to save the cadets. Pike is trapped on the J-class vessel, cadets are screaming, and the captain is being burned by delta ray radiation. Another flash, and Pike is in a corridor. There is a whirring sound, and out of the darkness comes a man in a mechanized chair. Burn scars cover his face, Pike's face. He lets out a terrified scream and is back in the vault. Tenevik tells Pike that he still has a chance to avoid what he has seen. He only needs to walk away without the crystal. A shaken Pike takes a moment to steal himself and accepts the time crystal and the fate it brings with it. Meanwhile, Burnham learns that one of Section 31's ships has broken protocol, missing a scheduled check-in by 10 minutes. With Saru's permission, she and Spock take a shuttle to investigate. Coming out of warp, the shuttle encounters frozen bodies floating in space. It's a control thing, but there is one survivor, Lieutenant Cameron Gant, the Shenzo's former tactical officer. Gant explains that control had taken over the ship and killed the crew. Gant had only enough time to save himself. Spock and Burnham decided that they need to investigate the Section 31 vessel, and they take a reluctant Gant with them. The AI had control of the ship, and begins warping to a point just outside Federation space. The trio come up with a plan to set up a dummy startup that will trap control and allow the party to reclaim the ship. Spock heads off to the control room, while Gant and Burnham begin work on the bridge. Gant regales his joining Section 31, but soon tips his hand, revealing that he is control reanimated. Michael was lured here by control. She will be reanimated and used to access the sphere data. Spock learns of Gant's infection and heads up to help Michael. Michael almost gets a needle full of nanites to the eyeball. It's also a control thing. Spock gets his arm broken and nanites in Gant's body nearly get to Michael until Spock magnetizes the whole plating, rendering the nanites useless. Back on Discovery, Pike tells Tyler and Laurel about their son, Tenevik. The captain delivers the insignia of the torchbearer back to Tyler, explaining that it helped their son on his journey. He was where he needed to be. On the bridge, Michael explains that control is no longer limited to ships or Leland, and it has a plan. Then the crew is shocked to find at least 30 Section 31 vessels on an intercept course. Out of time, Michael suggests that their only option is to destroy Discovery. Pike reluctantly agrees and sends a priority one message to the Enterprise. They will be evacuating the ship. The end. All right. Let's talk about some touchstones here. Anthony. Uh, well, obviously, time crystals, you know, have been a pretty major thing in the last few episodes. First introduced in the Harry Mudd episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Which leads me to think the monks aren't doing a very good job at keeping those time crystals protected, are they? It's funny. I, I, I mentioned this earlier. I honestly thought the term time crystal came from a TOS episode and did some pretty heavy research into that, only to find out that they were, in fact, introduced in Discovery, which I was, uh, was quite surprised because it sounds very 60s sci-fi-ish, you know? Also, uh, the character of Tenevek brings back Kenneth Mitchell to play yet another Klingon, which is pretty cool, although I'm slightly disappointed he wasn't killed off in this episode. We've broken that streak. Um, <laughs> he had a perfect record going. <laughs> he did. Um, he, was, he was kind of like Spinal Tap's drummer, you know? There's a, possibly a callback to the Menagerie with Jet Reno's hangnail. Um, there's a scene from the Menagerie where, during Spock's acquisition of the Enterprise, we'll say, Dr. McCoy is misled to return to the Enterprise, and he tells Kirk that it's probably just a hangnail. Also, we see the D7 Klingon battlecruiser that was teased earlier in the season. This is the first time, isn't it? Yes, it's the first time, and boy, was she sexy. Yes, and uh, we already know that this ship is going to be available in Star Trek Online fairly soon. They're just waiting to see if it does anything cool before the end of Season 2, so I'm looking forward to that. Also, obviously, the planet Borath. We mentioned earlier in the episode that this planet was seen in a TNG episode, Rightful Air, so we're somewhat familiar with the monastery and the monks on that planet. Also, we see, you know, Pike's incident that 
changes his appearance and and injures him that we saw in the aftermath during the episode The Menagerie. Also, I think Jet Reno has kind of become our pseudo Bones McCoy because she she says things like in this episode I'm an engineer not a poet and I think in pretty much every episode she's she's said a I'm an engineer not a something so Ken I think you also mentioned one about uh, possibly a nod to a famous quote yeah so um while uh, while Captain Pike is down on Boreth, Tanavik has a number of lines that sound super philosophical, um, and one of them talks about the present being a veil between anticipation and horror. And this is actually almost verbatim a, a quote from a Louis L'Amour novel, and the the novel is called The Walking Drum. And now Louis L'Amour is um, famous for American westerns. This was actually not an American western. This was a an adventure of a guy uh, traveling through Europe in the 12th century. But the full quote that the character's name is Kerbouchard, I think is how you pronounce it. Somebody asks him, can you see the future, Kerbouchard? And he said, who would wish to? Our lives hold a veil between anticipation and horror. Anticipation is the carrot suspended before the jackass to keep him moving forward. Horror is what he would see if he took his eyes off the carrot. So this, um, that little quote is just a, it's like a direct nod to to that fuller quote and I don't know maybe we'll talk about it later in this episode but it's it's part of that whole uh, mythology and mythos around the time crystals on Boreth. Why don't we get the cons out of the way for this episode? What was it that we liked least in this episode of Discovery? Anthony. So my one thing that I had a really hard time getting past was the effects of the time crystals on Boreth and the result of Tenevec. Like Tyler and Laurel's baby being full grown. I just, I, I just thought that that was maybe a little much, and I, I didn't quite understand what the purpose of his character was uh, in the story. And I, I kind of felt like it was more of a, hey, let's wrap up this Klingon love child storyline that was kind of started at the beginning of the season and didn't really do anything with, more so than actually informing any of the character revelations or character journeys in this episode or in this season at all. So I I just kind of felt like the character was somewhat pointless and I just, I didn't understand why he was there or why they had to go to the extent of having the time crystals create this time anomaly at the monastery that we then never see any effects of in any other accounts on Boreth. That's interesting that you mentioned that actually because you're right that the the first when we heard about the Klingon love child was way back in was it season 2? It was very early on and definitely in the older era of the the production staff before that whole production switchover. So I do wonder if there might have been an element of that going, "Oh crap, there's this like massive dangling plot point that we need to clear up pretty quick. Well, and the other thing too is I don't I don't even know why they needed to clear it up. They could have just touched on it that he was still a baby there. They didn't need to grow him up. This is my con too and and can I I hope you don't mind if I'm going to jump in because it's going to spawn off what he has said is that I am all about supporting the development of the Klingon culture, right? More often than not Klingon the Klingon culture in Star Trek has been kind of a secondary player, right? It's always been about the Federation and, and, and the stories about the members of the Federation, particularly humans uh, and Vulcans, right? We didn't, you know, we don't dive into Klingons uh, until later on in, in TNG and then back again in Deep Space Nine. We definitely don't talk about Klingons in Voyager, or very little at least. We get some backstory in Enterprise. Here was an opportunity for us to get more Klingon culture, expand on the mythos of what it is to be Klingon. They had me the entire way, right, about a sect of Klingon monks protecting this crystal. I I was totally following that. But like, like Anthony said, it got a little too fantastical with the son of Nun, the second son of Nun, Tevek being all grown up. And then trees growing in, you know, in the hallways. It got just a little too fantastical for me. Pulling away from what could have been excellent Klingon storytelling, right? About about these monks, about a sect of monks. And then now it, then it became Tolkien. You mean the, the Klingon time elves after they moved into Rivendell, which apparently is on Boreth. 
It's funny because that actually speaks quite closely to what probably my biggest issue is with this particular episode. It was not my favorite, which is uh, putting it mildly. If you would like to hear my full reaction to the episode, you should listen to Priority One After Hours. Um, But I I think because I I spent a lot of time uh, sort of trying to pull myself out of it and, and try and identify exactly what it was that kind of turned me off. And I think that it comes down to the suspension of disbelief. And in this particular episode, they were asking a lot as a as a base for the audience. And uh, generally speaking, I would consider myself to have a pretty easy suspension of disbelief. I tend to get into characters quite easily. But that's been this has been actually an issue with me for the whole series of Discovery that I've I haven't really kind of got inside Discovery. Whereas before we were more sci-fi adventure, and now with this episode in particular, it's more sci-fi fantasy, that's a really big hill for me to climb, and I just, it just, the story didn't take me with it. You know, the, the, something about the combination of the visual style and the story and the mythology that just didn't hit the right notes for me. Um, and then I started to get very disappointed because this is a serialized uh, story and this is a very key episode, it's hard not to drag down the whole series because I couldn't get over this one hump with my suspension of disbelief. All right, so what did we like about it? So I have to say that this is probably one of one of my favorite episodes of this season. It, ju- it The pacing was pretty consistent. The story moved forward. We had a few moments where it came to a halt, and I, and I do have to admit it was with... The Colbert, Stamets, Jet, Re- Jet Reno thing. Although Tignataro is a is a gem, and I I just wish that I wish that she was being used more. I, th- I feel I wish that she was more of a main character in moving the plot forward than than what she's how she's been used thus far. But again, one of my favorite episodes this season. Of particular note was, again, Anson Mount's performance on this particular episode. And that that sequence. Fantasy aside, because I completely agree with you, and, and now that you say it and put it into words, it pulled me away when it be- started to become science fantasy than science, f- than, than science fiction adventure. Uh, I'm not a fan of fantasy. I'm not a fan of the Tolkien universes. I'm not... I, I just don't lean on that direction. So that put me out on this episode. But the sequence when when Pike sees his future was, for me, yet another moment to say, wow, I would serve under Christopher Pike. This is this is a leader that I would serve under. The moment that there's one particular moment he he, he lets go of the crystal and he, he, he falls back and he does a weird little thing where he, he does like an old MGM black and white dramatic back of the hand to the to the mouth you know gasp but he did it because I don't know if this was a direction thing or what but he did it so that then he could grasp on he can lay his hand on the badge and the moment he lays his hand on the com badge it's his totem it becomes his totem it grounds him and it reminds him that he is a starfleet officer and when that, and when he, when he started doing that mantra, that mantra that we hear, that we've heard even Captain Picard, a similar mantra that we've heard even Captain Picard say when he's being tortured by the Cardassians, you know, Picard, number, alpha, da 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 da, right? These, these are things that, that I would assume a trained soldier ingrains in them. God forbid they're captured or in a position like this. It serves as a reminder of what their duty is. And I think that Anson Mount puts it best himself in that Ready Room interview that this is not a moment of tragedy for him, but in fact a moment of triumph. Whether or not he accepts the fact that this is his future, he holds to his totem, he repeats this mantra, and he makes a decision despite himself. Uh, I thought it was a very powerful moment, and... And when it comes to the, the acts of Christopher Pike, his first act, his second act, his third act, first and third, we already know, this was a powerful moment for his second act. And I want more. I des- I, I don't, you know what? I don't want Spock's story. I want Christopher Pike's story. So kudos to Anson Mount for that phenomenal performance. So I got to confess that the, the the moment with Pike and viewing the, his fate in the time crystal, it absolutely uh, did not do it for me. 
Um, and I go into some of the reasons why, again, in our after hours discussion. Um, it's a little bit convoluted for here, but uh, suffice to say that, that that scene did not have an impact on me the way that it has to a number of other people. I can step away from it and, and look at it, though, kind of objectively and appreciate that for a lot of people who are viewing this episode, that moment was incredibly emotional and, and impactful for them. And, you know, regardless of my personal experience with it, I can appreciate that having a, a series and a franchise that, that is able to touch on those moments and have an emotional impact on its viewers is really important for prolonging the securing the longevity of a franchise like Star Trek. So I, you know, um, it, it didn't quite hit it for me, but I'm grateful that that moment was there and that it's there for other people to enjoy. Also, Captain Pike's Parker was amazing. I think for me, there were two moments in this episode that really grabbed me. Obviously, the Pike moment was everything that you guys have already said. The other moment for me was actually the scene in sick bay with Jet Reno and uh, Colber. And I, there was just something about that scene that seemed very TOS to me and almost harkened back as early as the cage in one of the first scenes where Dr. Boyce is talking to Captain Pike in his quarters. And they're just kind of talking about like life and stuff. And it just... It reminds me that scene and dialogue is just as much a part of Star Trek as the techno babble, as, you know, these canon moments. And I just really appreciated that there was this sort of poignant element to it of just two characters talking about their lives and maybe learning a little bit about each other, maybe learning a little bit about themselves. And and I, I think that that may be a moment that some people might not remember from this episode, and I, I want to make sure that, that it's at least touched on a little bit. Well, that wraps up this week's On Screen. Next week, we'll be tackling Season 2, Episode 13 of Discovery, Such Sweet Sorrow, and we want to hear your thoughts. So send us what you thought of the episode, either via social media or via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, and your comments could be part of the discussion next week. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 407's controversial community question was, do you want Discovery Season 2 to be a Borg origin story? And holy crap, did we get a lot of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Thrusters on full. Shields up. Yeah. It's more like it. Brace for impact, everybody. From Patreon, David S. says, Please no. I know canon has already been smashed to pieces, but please no. If that is how this season ends, then this is almost as bad as how season one ended. Two reasons why. Number one, Control wants to kill all sentient life, not assimilate it. Two, we had the Borg in first contact trying to contact the Borg already existing in the Delta Quadrant in 2063. So in linear time, Control cannot be the origin of the Borg. Even with time travel and a spore drive, Control would know about the Federation hundreds of years beforehand and could easily have gotten back to the Alpha Quadrant well before now. So the only way for this to work would be for Control to forget about the Federation, travel back in time and across the galaxy to establish an early Borg collective. So we have a bit of precedence for this, right? With not Hugh, but uh, Future Borg from Voyager. One. One, right? So we have a little bit of precedence for this because one, when he becomes conscious, he, he knows he's Borg and he wants to reach out to the Collective, but never does, right? And ends up defying the Collective. So there is precedence for Borg technology Never, never being able to phone home and doing its own thing. I think there's a strong link to the Borg here because even, even if Borg technology survived in Enterprise, it didn't, never phoned home. So if Starfleet and Section 31 started doing its thing with Borg technology, similarly to what the Romulans did prior to the Hobus destruction, it is possible to manipulate Borg technology to not phone home. So, again, my theory, definite Borg link. 
From Twitter, Ken from Chicago says, No, because this would make the Borg part of a bootstrap time travel story, and Star Trek time travel is a bit wonky. I'd prefer a cleaner, more straightforward origin for them. Origin for V'ger? Yes, please. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Jusenkyo Guide writes in, No, I do not want it to be a Borg origin story. I fear it's going to be, but I do not want... What I'd love would be for Control to get control of the Discovery, just in time for it to be jumped off into the future without its crew. And there, Control decides that it was wrong after accessing both the data and the rest of Discovery's memories, including Ariums. That would be a nice Trek message. Oh, I kind of like that, actually, because that's what they were trying to do with the Red Angel suit, weren't they? They took they were trying to shoot the sphere data into the future. Um and, and I wonder, you know, that would be kind of a nice, I don't know exactly how that would work, but, you know, basically offload everybody, shoot, instead of destroying the discovery, shoot it into the future with the sphere data where it couldn't be reached. Interesting. From Twitter, Andrew Tweederman writes, Absolutely not. My preferred Borg origin story was Destiny, and I can accept V'ger on the outside, but tying Disco in it is too much. I agree. From Twitter, Jason Smith says, No, but I feel like it is an ongoing story on the Borg. In the movie First Contact, there was Borg bodies left over on Earth. On Enterprise, a scientist found and reanimated a Borg. Archer had to destroy a Borg ship, but someone from Section 31 could have gathered what's left. And that could lead to where we are now. Jason, you and I are on the same page. Sean Newboy writes in on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Wonderful show. Great job, everyone. No, I do not want it to be a Borg origin. I think the creation and growth should be both longer and alien. I don't want them to go from start to galactic threat in a hundred years or so. Burn them rap for the win. That's a comment to our blooper reel that Kenna didn't listen to. Oh, no, no, I have to go back and listen. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Finally, this week, we took to Twitter for another hashtag survey Sunday. This week, we asked... Which USS Enterprise captain is your favorite? And out of 83 votes, 13% said Archer, hashtag really? 23% said Pike, hashtag I'd mutiny. 16% said Kirk, hashtag Kirk Foo's enough for you. And 48% said Picard, hashtag yak yakity yak yak yak. I'm actually quite surprised that Kirk got such a low vote and that Pike... Uh, is second place. I think that that shows the popularity of Pike in this season of Discovery. Well, that wraps up episode 408 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, we have to take a moment to thank our patrons, Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. We thank them for their ongoing financial contributions of Priority One Podcast, along with all of our other patrons. And here's this week's community question. Did Pike's decision to take the time crystal from Borath and doom himself to his future change your opinion or understanding of the character? Why or why not? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Just follow us on our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. 
Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Winters, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. If you have at least, I gotta scroll up. That's I'm looking down on it. That's the problem. I I would have thought you'd be comfortable looking down on things by now. It's just you. The agonizer subatomic disintegrator. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I kept thinking when you were saying that. More straightforward origin for them. Downward thumb. Origin for V'ger? Yes. Thumbs Please. down? Thumb- call also call thumbs it down. thumbs down. Yeah. Thumbs in, down. America, in America, we call that a thumbs down. <laughs> That's really a weird. Like thumb. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's making... That about? He, excuse me. He's making some gesture. Like a downward thumb. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Listen, because... I can't wait to see what she thinks of this next one. The upward thumb. (laughs) I was so close to bringing it back. I was about to start again. I was about to do it. We were good. We were... were... (laughs) This is going to be great. The bloopers are going to be longer than this show. Oh, God podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network